1: River Valley, everybody, stand up. Let's let's all stand up. Come on, let's pray before getting in the Word of God. I just love you guys so much. So proud to be Uncle John at River Valley. Right, Papa Rob, Mama Becca, they're in Tanzania right now, blowing it up over there. I am so excited about what you guys are doing around the world. Do you know that we just had our messenger cup and in just 35 minutes raised $2.1 million? Do you know that River Valley was a huge part of that? Literally, you're gonna be resourcing pastors and leaders all over the world because of Pastor Rob and Pastor Becca's passion to reach the world. And then they have such a passion to reach Minnesota. I mean, just come on, eight campuses now, nine's getting ready, St. Paul is coming along. I love that, isn't that amazing? So that's, this is why God is blessing the Vikings. And you know, I, I, um, I brought my son Arden with me. He is a massive Minnesota Viking fan. His very close friend, Daniel... Um, Daniel, anyway, is the place kicker now for Minnesota. Arden and Daniel grew up together in school. They're really close friends. And so you better believe Arden is like just gone to another level of a Viking fan, right? All right. So anyway, listen, I want to get right into the word of God today. I I just have so much I want to be able to share with you. I don't want to just bring a message today. I want to see your life impacted forever. And I believe the Holy Spirit can do that. But the Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. And so can we ask him to do that? Does anybody have faith in here that God can make this a life-changing service? Life-changing, all right, so let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for this church that you have planted. I thank you so much for my dear, dear friends, Pastor Rob and Pastor Becca. I'm asking that you would bless them in Tanzania now, but I'm asking also that in our sanctuary today and those that are watching by line, I'm asking that you would literally invade this place. Do something in our lives that will change us forever, Holy Spirit. Reveal Jesus in a way like we've never seen him before. As you do, may we go from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the living God, for I declare it will be done in here on earth as it is in heaven. And for this, we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor and the thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody that agrees, shouts. Come on, give him praise for what he's gonna do. Amen, amen. You can be seated.
2: Faster than a speeding bullet, bending steel with his bare hands, Superman, what if we are more like him than we realize? Think about it. Superman draws his strength from the sun. We draw our strength from Jesus Christ, the sun. Superman is not from this world. As a child of God, we are not of this world. Superman possesses supernatural powers. We are supernaturally empowered. But hold up. One thing had the power to stop Superman, bringing the previously invincible down to his knees. Kryptonite. Is it true? Like Superman, our strength is being robbed, neutralizing our power and making us weak. Could it be Kryptonite has invaded our lives, taking root?
1: Could it be? All right. So unless you've lived on a deserted island the last 80 years, everybody knows about Superman, right? And we know enough to know that Superman and kryptonite are fictional, but something I've discovered is spiritual kryptonite is very, very, very real. I actually didn't set out to write a book about Superman or kryptonite. I actually was doing one of the most in-depth studies on the church of Corinth that I've done in my 38 years of walking with the Lord. And I started seeing some of the struggles, the why behind the struggles the Corinthian church was having. If you look at the early church, and I'm not talking about the Corinthian church, there is 25 year gap between the early church of Acts chapter one through 12 and the Corinthian church. But if you look at the early church, they were almost invincible. They were literally winning entire cities to the Lord. The Bible cannot exaggerate, but it says every single human being in three cities, cities—Lida, Sharon, and Joppa got saved. If you look at a, wait, a restaurant waiter named Philip goes to the city of Samaria and the entire city is rocked. These guys are constantly having to convince government leaders and Roman officers. They're not superheroes, they're gods. But if you look at the Corinthian church, History shows that Corinth, the city of Corinth, was not impacted significantly by the Corinthian church. Why is that? They had issues. They were divided. They had favorite preachers. They were committing sexual immorality. They were actually suing one another. They would come to church, eat the best food, and leave the scraps for the poor. And so finally, Paul writes to this church that he loves so deeply And he birthed it and said, for this reason, many, now everybody say many Many. of you are weak. What does kryptonite do to Superman? It neutralizes his otherworldly powers. All right. Here's the thing. I'm not a preacher of doom. I'm a preacher of hope because there is a prophet who had a vision of the last day's church. And that prophet's name is Daniel. And look what he said about the last day's church. The people who know their God shall be strong. Everybody shout strong. Strong. What's the opposite of weak? Right. And they shall carry out not just exploits, but great exploits. Now, I guess I'm turning 60 next year and I'm asking some really honest questions. And one of the questions I had to ask myself is, are we more like the Corinthian church right now? Or are we more like this church that Daniel saw? And I have to be really honest. You know, I I just spoke Friday night to 5,000 people, right? Big conference. But I started thinking, what about the other million and a half people in this city? Where are they right now? And so let's be honest. Let's address the kryptonite. First of all, Daniel said the people who know their God, they're the ones that are going to carry out the great exploits. They're the ones that are going to change their cities and their world of influence. So what is the word know? Know. Right there. It's actually an amazing word because it's the key. The word know is the Hebrew word yada. Now, that word, its raw definition is this to know somebody deeply and intimately. It's used all throughout the Old Testament in regard to God knowing our hearts. How many of you know God knows your heart better than you know your heart? Right? Are you with me? It's used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Adam knew his wife Eve. And they conceive, so the most intimate, the two human beings can be on earth, the word yada is used by the Holy Spirit to identify it. Now, I find that to be interesting, because how many of you know God uses marriage imagery all throughout the Bible to illustrate his relationship with us? Correct? I mean, you see statements all throughout the Old Testament Your creator is your husband. You will see the whole book of Hosea illustrates a marriage relationship between God and us, right? If you look at the New Testament, Paul says, a man's gonna leave his father and mother. They're gonna be joined to his, he's gonna be joined to his wife. And the two are gonna be one. But he said, but this is actually an illustration. So Tommy Barnett was not the originator of illustrated sermons. It was actually God himself. This is an illustration of the way the church and Jesus are one, right? Now with that illustration in mind, watch this video.
0: That castle. Really? Isn't that phenomenal?
3: So they taught you how to fold the napkins? Yes. Oh wow, well, I actually, believe it or not, I know how to fold the uh, Sydney Opera House. I
0: don't believe you. No,
3: no, I really do. I, 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 I can totally show you. Stop, on I am very
0: excited. Oh. Good evening,
3: Oh, good evening. Have you um, dined with us before?
0: Yes, actually, this is our favorite restaurant.
3: Welcome back. Uh, no, babe, I'm pretty sure we've never been here before. Oh. That's weird. Really? Um, yeah, no. No, we haven't.
0: <laughs> mm. Oh, hold that butt just one second. Oh, I'm really, yeah. no, really
3: sure. sorry. Oh, no problem. Yeah. So what would you like to order this ah, yes, sir. So you know what? I think I would like to have that salmon. That that sounds it's absolutely wonderful. Good, That's one of my favorites. Oh, great. Yeah, I like that.
2: And for you, ma'am?
0: Oh, um, I will have the filet mignon and the New York strip and the eight-ounce sirloin. All medium rare, please. Yes, fantastic.
3: That's is a great choice, Thank you. I will get those right out to you. Babe, that's, that's kinda of a lot of food, isn't it?
0: I'm not just ordering for one, you know.
3: Wait, are you, are you telling me that we're, are we expecting?
0: Yeah, he'll be here soon.
3: It's a boy? Oh my Yeah, Oh my course. gosh, babe, okay, this has gotta be There he is be- now.
0: Wait, Hi. What? Oh,
3: bonjour. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sorry I'm late. Uh,
0: (laughs) I ordered for you.
2: Oh, thank you, you (laughs) know (laughs) me so well.
3: I'm sorry, do you you two know each other? Yeah,
0: he is my boyfriend from high school.
3: Your your boyfriend from from high school? Babe, can I ask you what your old boyfriend's (laughs) doing? Did I come
2: at a bad time? No!
0: I really don't see the problem here, Justin.
2: Yeah, I really don't see
3: the problem here. Okay, who are you?
0: Honey, stop. You're embarrassing me. I just wanted us to have one nice night at our favorite
2: restaurant.
3: Okay, first of all, I've never been at this restaurant. And, and second,
2: what is going on? Hey, babe, sorry I'm late. Did I miss anything?
3: Okay, seriously? Hey, you... Uh, you, you take your hand off her sure. and you... What is going on? Just sit down. It's all right.
2: It's all right.
3: <laughs> Angela, is this is this some kind of joke? Are you are you actually seeing these guys?
0: Justin, I've known these guys longer than I've known you. Wait, what? Are you seriously jealous right now?
3: Jealous, Angela? In case you forgot, we're married.
0: Okay? And we spend the majority of our time together. I'm, I love you more than any of my other boyfriends. That's why you'll always be my favorite.
3: Your, your favorite? Is, is there anyone else I need to know about? Babe, is there a problem over here? Okay, really, the waiter? <laughs> no, Dennis, we're fine. All right, fine. seriously, no.
2: Good, food will be right. Uh,
3: okay, Angela, so Angela, Angela, all okay. right. These guys need to go. We need to talk, we're done.
0: I cannot believe this. You are being so selfish. Why do you always have to make everything about you? You ruined our favorite restaurant. <sighs> Excuse me,
3: sorry. Yeah, I've, I've still never been to this restaurant. All
1: right, it's a little out there, but I think you get the point, right? So let me ask you a question. I really want you to think this through. How many of you would want to be married to somebody like that? Can I see a show of hands? (laughs) Nobody? Gosh, that was last night too. Uh, Okay, wait a minute. She's gorgeous. She's got a great personality. Why didn't you raise your hand? Can I articulate it? Because even though he is her favorite and she spends 90% of her time with him and she loves him more than any of the other ones, her heart's still divided. Now, you'd never marry someone like that. What makes you think Jesus is coming back for a bride like that? Okay, if you believe that Jesus is coming back for a bride like that, you're as deceived as she is. He's coming back for a bride that has given herself to him the way he gave himself to her. Make no mistake about it. See, when a girl gets married... And she puts on a white dress and she walks down an aisle of a church in front of a bunch of people. The wedding march is playing. Do you know she's actually making a really strong statement? Do you know what she's saying? She's saying goodbye to every guy on the planet. 3.5 billion guys because she's giving her entire heart and life to this one guy. Well, Paul eventually has to say to this church, he says, many, everybody say many, Remember, for this reason, many of you are weak. Many of you have not given up your old sins, your old boyfriends. You have not repented. So what is the word repent? We're immediately seeing something here. It's breaking up with old boyfriends, right? You have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. The foundational problem here with the Corinthian church, the reason kryptonite was weakening them is they hadn't repented of their old sins. Now, we got a problem. When you say the word repent in the American church today, people recoil, they shut down. Why? Why is that? Because mean-spirited, legalistic preachers who didn't even like people beat us up so bad with this word. But can I say something? As a Catholic boy that got saved and has been studying the Bible for 38 years, can I tell you, repentance is actually one of the most empowering, life-giving, and beautiful words in the New Testament other than the name of Jesus. So can we kind of like talk about the elephant in the room, so to speak? All right. First of all, when you hear the word repentance, don't think Old Testament repentance, sackcloth, you know, food strikes, all that kind of stuff. Totally different word. The New Testament word repentance is the Greek word metanoia. Now, do you know what? God actually calls it a gift. How many of you know God does not give binding or constrictive gifts to his children? He actually gives good gifts, right? So, it is mentioned 50 times in the New Testament, not mentioned. It's very strong 50 times. Its raw definition is simply this, a change of mind. That's the definition. All right. It's an about face. But how many of you know I can change my mind, but not necessarily be fully persuaded about something? Come on, talk to me. Where I come from, it's, it's kind of rude not to talk, answer a question if you're asked, right? <laughs> All right. Well, we Minnesotans were quiet. Well, you know, they're pretty loud in that stadium you just built, you know? Okay, so So anyway, um, I can change my mind but not be fully persuaded, right? So it's gotta go deeper. If you look at Baker's Encyclopedia, it defines it this way. It's a change in the whole personality. Now, I love that. So repentance is a change of mind, but it goes deeper. It goes to the will, it goes to the emotions, it penetrates the heart. So true repentance is when I'm fully persuaded about something from the core of my being. This is why Jesus makes this statement from the heart comes evil thoughts, adultery, murder, all sexual immorality, theft, and lying. If repentance is just a change of mind, Jesus would have said from the mind come all these things. Now I have found that the wisdom of God is simplistic, right? Right? I mean, if you, if you show me a theology book and it's so hard for me to understand, chances are it's probably not God, it's just head. So w- let's just simplify this. What's the difference between a person who has repented and a person who has not repented? The, repentant, the unrepentant person, let's start there, says this. I choose what is good, best, and right for my life. The repented person says this. I choose what God says is good, best, and right for my life. No matter what society says, no matter what is acceptable in our culture, I choose what God says. Cause he's my creator, he knows what breaks me and he knows what fixes me. I'm preaching better than some of you are saying amen right now, right? Now, if you look at this video, I had our team make this video on purpose like this. Did you notice that both of them were equally shocked by each of their behaviors? It wasn't just he was shocked by her inviting all the her old boyfriends, she was just as shocked. She accused him of being jealous and selfish. In fact, she got so upset, she left the table. Now, how could this ever happen in real life? The only way this could ever happen in real life is if the people in Angela's life, and when I say the people in her life, I'm talking about her teachers, her friends, her family. If the people in Angela's life never once told her as she was growing up that in order to enter a marriage covenant, you have to break up with your old boyfriends. If they never tell her that, she's shocked by his behavior and will accuse him of being selfish. When I look at the way we preach the gospel today in the United States, okay? Now, now listen, I mean, we almost sell Jesus like a used car salesman. Now, if you're a saved used car salesman, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about a unsaved used car salesman, okay? You know, you, you know what happens with a used car salesman. You know, you come in and go, oh man, you're the greatest person on the earth. We're gonna encourage you, inspire you, right? And we tell you all the upsides of the car, but we don't tell you any of the downsides. So you drive off the lot and a few weeks later, you see the downsides. Now you're mad at the salesman. So we preach Jesus almost like that. We talk about the goodness of God. Now listen, we have to talk about the goodness of God. Why? Because the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Okay, but here's the deal. We preach this 35 minute sales pitch of all that God will do for you. And then we come to the very end. We say, you want a relationship with God. You want to come back to your creator. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus come into my life. I receive you as my savior. Forgive me of all my sins. Amen. We never said one word about repentance. Not one word about breaking up with your old boyfriends. But if you look at Jesus, that's not the way he ministered. Look at the first words out of Jesus' mouth in public after he got filled with the Spirit. Look at this. Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God. Now, I want to show you a pattern. I want you to notice the highlight words. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Now, did he continue? It said he began. Did he continue? Oh, let me show you a couple examples. Matthew 11. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he'd done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. Look at Luke 13. Jesus, these are his words. You will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Now he's training these 12 guys to represent him, right? When he finally sends out his 12 guys to go represent him, what do they preach? So the disciples went out telling everyone, not 99% of the people they met, everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. Are you getting this? How about the rich guy in hell? How many of you know people in hell don't have to put on a facade, right? They can be really bluntly honest. The rich guy in hell says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to my five brothers from the dead, then they, my five brothers, will repent of their sins and turn to God. Now, what about the day of Pentecost? Did it all change? Because you remember, Peter's got all these guys that want to get saved. They're not sitting in their chair going like this. Hey, what do you got, Peter? What do you got, Pastor Peter? I've heard all these messages. What's up? No, they're like, what do we do to get saved? Look what he says. Peter says, each of you must, notice the word must. It's not strongly recommended. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Are you still with me? Okay, how about the apostle Paul? He got the revelation of grace. Did it all change with Paul? He said, I, I preach first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all of Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must, again, look at the word must, repent of their sins, And turn to God. How about God the Father? Did it change with him? God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands, doesn't suggest or highly recommend. Everyone everywhere, that about covers it, to repent of their sins and turn to him. Are you seeing a biblical pattern here? Okay, what's the biblical pattern we're seeing? There is no true faith in Jesus Christ without repentance. It's not a genuine faith. It's a counterfeit faith. Anybody ever spent counterfeit money? If you did, you wouldn't be here to listen to me. So um, it's not a genuine faith. It's actually a false faith. It's a faith that is not saving you. Are you getting this? So if you look at the foundations of the church, the writer of Hebrews tells us the six foundations, the whole church is built on. Number one foundation is repentance from dead works, repentance of sin. What's the number two foundation, faith in God. In other words, you can't even have the foundation of faith in God, unless you put the first one down called repentance from dead works. So what is the heart posture of the person that's truly repented? Here it is. This is what they firmly say in their heart. I will no longer live as the judge of what is best for me from this moment forward. I will embrace whatever God says is best for me, even if I don't understand it. Okay, so here's all these guys on the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaches, he says, Each of you must repent of your sins, right? Now, let's say a guy and a girl are living together on that day. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden they stop living together because they don't even know it's wrong to live together. But then a week later, they hear Pastor Peter preach, God. The marriage bed is kept undefiled. God will judge fornicators and adulterers. And you go, whoa, whoa. Okay, does it, settles it. We already made up our mind last week. No matter what God says, we're gonna do it. We're done with this living together. Let's get, hey, Pastor Peter, marry us. See, see what I'm saying? But, but, but the thing is we got these people living in the church that, that are still living in their willful sin two years after, quote, getting saved. I've seen people in prisons clean up better than some of our American churches. Sure quiet in this Presbyterian church. Okay. All right. So, this is Uncle John. I'm the crazy uncle. I know. Okay. So, Paul then writes to the Corinthian church and says this Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Now, it is one thing to fool the person sitting next to you, it is an entirely different thing to fool yourself. Okay. So you know what the number one statement Jesus made when people said, what's it gonna be like right before you return? He said, be very careful that you're not deceived. There's only one problem with deception. It's deceiving. <laughs> the person who's deceived believes with all their heart they're right, when in reality, they're wrong. That's scary. They have fooled themselves. My goodness. Do you understand that it is possible to fool yourself just, 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 think about that for a second, would you please? Okay, that's why we need a compass called truth, and the teacher of how to read the compass, the Holy Spirit. So he said, "Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, stop. I'm first on the list." Okay, so I'm 12 years old, and a friend of mine introduces me to pornography. Well, you know what happens when a young man gets introduced to pornography. Within months, I'm addicted, right? We, uh, we didn't have phones and tablets and computers. We had magazines. So I, I, by the time I get to high school, I'm so eaten up with lust. I'm undressing girls in my high school classes having the wildest sexual fantasies in my mind. Okay, so I go to Purdue University. I played varsity tennis at Purdue. I joined a fraternity. Talk about adding fuel to the fire. Okay, but here's what's cool. My sophomore year, an athlete in my fraternity who I greatly respected came up to my room and shared campus crusades for spiritual laws. I received Jesus Christ as my Lord. And that night I was gloriously saved. And let me tell you that night cussing left my life. Cause I couldn't get through a sentence without cussing. Okay. Alcoholism gone, but you know, what didn't leave that night was lust and pornography. So let's fast forward. I'm getting married to the most gorgeous girl that walks the planet when I'm 23 in my eyes. And, I think it's all gonna be fixed. Everything's gonna be fine. It didn't, it got worse. It's affecting our marriage in the bedroom and outside the bedroom. So now, a year after we get married, I'm 24 now, and I start to work for our church. And our church had 450 paid staff members we were the, one of the best-known churches in the United States. My job was I picked up all the guest speakers. We had every well-known minister of the gospel coming to our church from, the, from around the world. And one of the guys that came in frequently, and I got really close with him, was a guy named Dr. Lester Summerall. He probably had the most powerful deliverance ministry in the 20th century in the planet, okay? And so we're alone in the vehicle, and it's the fall of 1984. It was September of 1984. And I opened up. I said, Dr. Summerall, I'm bound to lust in pornography. I, and boy, did he let me have it. Oh, my goodness. First thing he says, stop it. <laughs> he was gruff, okay? And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm trembling, you know, but I wanted it because I want it out. And I listened to every word he had to say. I'm so thankful. He didn't look at me and say, oh, you're a young man. You got testosterone surging through you. Man, 70% of the males in America look at pornography. John... Chill out. I mean, 50% of the pastors in America look at it at least once a month. True statistic right now. Um, He didn't do that. He let me have it. Told me what the word of God said. So I listened to everything he said. And I said, Dr. Summer, will you pray for me? Please, I want this out of my life forever. He said, absolutely, come really close to me. I came close. He put his hands on my head, prayed a really strong prayer. You know what happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, find a better minister. No, no. No, 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 no. So, you know, I'm still bound, but here's what happened. Nine months later, I go on this fast, May May 2nd, 1985. and the fourth day of the fast, I get completely, totally delivered from lust and pornography and I'm still free today. Thank God, thank God. Can I tell you, I've been bound, I'm free and free is much better. So I'm walking in this freedom for a couple years and I'm like, okay, I don't get it. God, um, I really opened up with Dr. Summerall. I mean, I humbled myself. I I, I got rebuked by him. Why didn't you deliver me in September, 1984? Why well, wasn't until nine months later, May of 1985, that you set me free? And God started showing me my prayer life. Now I got to back up a few years. 1982, I read this book on prayer that really impacted me. So every day after that book, I started setting my alarm at 4.45 in the morning. I was outside in a remote place praying by 5 a.m. And I would pray until at least 6.30, sometimes 7. And then I'd go to work at 8, okay, every morning. And when you pray an hour and a half every morning, how many of you know you kind of run out of things to pray about? So you go back, what you do is you go back to your default prayer. What's your default prayer? That's the thing you're most passionate about, right? So my default prayer was God use me to win people to Jesus. God used me to get people healed. Use me to get people delivered. God, give me souls or I'm going to die, right? Well, I don't know if it was a month before or a month after, but it was right around the fall of 1984. I'm out praying this way. Now I've been praying this way for two years. And, and the Holy Spirit interrupts me and goes, Son, your prayers are off target. I'm like that's the devil. (laughs) But then he said this, he's very patient with me. He said, son, you can cast out devils. You can get people healed. You can win multitudes of Jesus and end up in hell forever. And I'm like, that's really the devil. But then he said this to me and it was an appealing voice and I'll never forget it. He said, son, now I'd never thought of this, what I'm about to say. I'd never thought of it, never read it, never heard a person preach it. He said, son, Judas left everything he had to come follow me. Judas healed the sick in my name. Judas got people free in my name. Judas preached repentance and salvation in my name. Judas is in hell forever. Okay, I'm trembling now, okay? I'm a Catholic boy. I don't even know what trembling is, but I'm trembling. (laughs) And I'm like, very cautiously say, what should be my number one prayer? He said, to know me intimately. And I thought that day, I thought, that was Moses' number one heart cry. And he finished well. That was King David's number one heart cry. He finished well. That was the Apostle Paul's number one heart cry. He finished well. So I started praying, God, I want to know you the best a man can know you. I want to please you the best a man can please you. I want to love you the best a man can love you. I want to know your heart. I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. What is important to you, I want it to become important to me. What is not so important to you, I want it not so important to me. I want to walk with you. And that became my number one prayer. You say, what does this have to do with you getting free from pornography? It has everything to do with me getting pre- free from pornography. Because look what Paul says. He says, for same Corinthian church, for godly sorrow. Everybody say godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Produces repentance, leading to salvation. That word salvation, one of the meanings is deliverance. I'm talking about my deliverance. So all right, let's go there. Not to be regretted, but sorrow of the world produces death. Now, look up at me, two sorrows. Now, listen carefully, they're both genuine sorrows. Please understand, it's not one sorrow's real, one sorrow's fake. They're both genuine. Okay? What's the difference? You can see the difference in the life of two kings. King Saul disobeys God, that's the root of all sin. Hey, Adam didn't jump in bed with a prostitute in the garden, he just disobeyed God. So Saul sins. the prophet Samuel comes to him, backs him into the corner. That's what prophets do. Saul goes, I've sinned. He confesses it. I've sinned, right? Right? But you know what the next words out out of his mouth were? Samuel, honor me in front of my leaders and my people. In other words, you've embarrassed me publicly. The focus of his sorrow is him. King David commits adultery. To cover it up, he murders the woman's husband, oh, unthinkable. Prophet Nathan comes to him, backs him into the corner. David goes up to sin against the Lord, falls on his face, couldn't care less what the people and his leaders thought. And he stayed in his face seven days and he cries out against you and against you only have I done this. The focus of his, of his sorrow was him. Worldly sorrow focuses on you. What are the consequences of what I've done? Will I lose my marriage? Will I lose my position in ministry? Will I lose my position? Will I be judged? Will I burn in hell forever? Godly sorrow focuses on him. I've hurt the heart of the one I love. God showed me when I opened up with Dr. Summerall in the fall of 1984, he said, son, you were scared. That sin was gonna keep you from the international calling on your life to preach the gospel. He said, the focus was you. He said, but after nine months of crying out to know me intimately, He said, when you went into that fast, your heart was breaking because you were hurting my heart. He said, that was the godly sorrow that produced the repentance that led to your deliverance. That's where you clap. Okay, so Paul says, don't you realize that those who do wrong, they won't inherit the kingdom. You got it? And he's gonna repeat himself, watch this. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, look at this list, or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. What gives you the kingdom? Knowing him. See, Jesus talks about a massive group of people at judgment day that are gonna expect him to say, enter into the joy of the Lord. They all call Jesus Christ their Lord. He talks about it in Matthew 7. And I saw this vision. God gave it to me in the late 1980s. And I saw an ocean of people that had come. The gates were behind me, the city, Jesus. I never saw him, I saw the people. And the people all called Jesus their Lord. And they all expected Jesus to say, enter. And I heard the words from behind me. I don't know you. Who are you? Depart from me, you who have practiced insubordination to my will. And what God let me see is their faces, the absolute shock. And what he did is he put a passion in my heart, not for the lost on the street only, but he put a passion in my heart for the lost and the church. Those who haven't broken up with their old boyfriends. Those who think they're saved because somebody told them they were saved because they prayed a formula sinner's prayer, but they never broke up with their boyfriends. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, I preach what you commanded me to preach. And I'm, I'm so grateful for you, Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful that you love us so much that you'll draw us to Jesus. See, your head's bowed right now and, and, and you're feeling this tremendous conviction. That's actually his absolute passionate love for you. See, Jesus make a, made a statement. He said, their eyes, they have shut. Their ears, they have closed. Their heart, they have hardened. Lest I should heal them. Lest they should repent and I heal them. You have to understand, if, if you don't feel anything right now, One of two things, either you're really walking with Jesus or your heart is so hard it's unreachable by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you'll leave, the conviction will be gone, but you'll be harder later. God will never force you into a relationship with him. Never, never will he do it. His arms are wide open. Jesus doesn't have an angry look on his face. He has a hopeful look right now because he died for you. And he's hoping that you'll hear, but he won't force you to choose. Yeah, yeah, you know, you can fool the person sitting next to you, but I think you need to be honest with yourself right now. As I preached, it was heard in so many different ways. That's because the Holy Spirit made it personal to you. And, and as, as I was preaching, you realize, man, this area of my life, I've, I've not been submitted to the authority of the word of God. I, I, I've been, I've been, I've been comforting myself over the fact that it's acceptable in society today, and I realize I'm one of those that is practicing insubordination to God's word, His authority in my life. God's authority is out of His love for you, His passionate love for you. He wants you free. He died for you to be free. You think He's going to give up on you now? But boy, if you've heard his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't walk out of here and and, and don't be harder two hours from now than you were before you got up this morning. I'm not talking about living a perfect life. That's not it. I'm talking about giving him your entire heart. Lisa gave me her entire heart 36 years ago. Boy, she's made mistakes. I've made a lot more, but she's made mistakes. We're not talking about living a perfect life. We're talking about you've given your entire heart in your life. And you know, you're sitting there because as I was preaching, that conviction was there and you you just have to decide, am I gonna lie to myself and walk out of here and be harder two hours from now or am I going to just yield to his love, his loving call? I mean, the prodigal son made the choice and his dad came running for him. That's what Jesus is about to do. He's about to come running for you. So if you're in here and you say, that's me, I couldn't wait till you were finished. I'm ready to give my complete total life, everything. And I will submit to him with all my heart because I know how much he loves me. If I'm ready to do that and I'm ready to break up with old boyfriends, if that's you, re- lift up your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Lift them. Wow, look at the hands. All right, if your hand's in the air, it's a lot of you. Just stand up right now. Just stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Just stand up. Some of you are still sitting right now and you're, you're actually wanting to be standing. Hey, don't wait for God to like push you up on your feet. He won't do it you got to make a decision. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, 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 yes. Probably looking at 40% of the building standing. Is there anyone else? I want to make sure everybody's missed. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Yes, sir. I got it. Let me tell you something. Heaven's having a party right now because you're about to enter life like you've never known it before. I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray this. Just say this from your heart, from your heart. I want you to speak it out loud so your ears hear this prayer, okay, are you ready? Pray this, everybody that's sitting, help them. Let's pray this out loud. God in heaven, thank you so much for speaking to me today. Forgive me for living life my way in certain areas of my life, the areas you dealt with me about. But today I'm breaking up with those old sins I'm breaking up with that old pattern of disobedience and I'm giving my heart completely to you. And I will become one of your passionate servants that wants to obey you. Say it, I will become one of your servants that passionately wants to obey you. So this very moment I give my spirit, soul and body, everything I am, everything I have to you, Jesus. Jesus, you are now my Lord. And my life is yours. I'm forever your bride. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise. And you can be seated. Give him praise. Amen. Amen.